When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex, associate editor and film writer at Deadline.com. And today I am chatting with Power Book 3 Raising Canaan star, Bettina Miller. Now, as a major talent across film, television, and musical theater, Bettina Miller portrays Raquel Rock Thomas on the star's original series, Power Book 3 Raising Canaan, which is coming up on the end of its third season. Now, Raising Canaan is the third show in the Power Universe. This particular show is about a young Canaan Stark, which was played by Curtis 50 Cent Jackson in the original Power. And the show is about how he joins his family's growing dangerous drug business. And it takes place in Queens, New York during the 1990s. Now, Rock is Canaan's mother. And to Canaan, she might come across as affectionate, yet on the streets, she embodies the epitome of toughness, navigating the male-dominated world with a blend of coldness, determination, and ferocity. Despite her hard exterior, Rock possesses the capacity for love, directing her deep affection exclusively toward Canaan, who represents her world. And as a middle sibling among three, Rock also shoulders the responsibility of being the primary provider for her two brothers, Lulu and Marvin, which, of course, adds to the complexity of her character. Last summer, Patina made her highly anticipated Broadway return in the critically acclaimed revival of the Stephen Sondheim and James Lapine 1987 musical Into the Woods. Miller received rave reviews starring as The Witch, a role she played during a Hollywood Bowl production of the musical in 2019. This marked the first time in eight years that she graced the Broadway stage since she won a Tony Award for Best Performance by an Actress in a Leading Role in a Musical in 2013 for her role in the show Pippin. On this episode, Patina and I discuss her experiences across film, television, and musical theater. We also talk about how to move on from rejection, and we also talk about what's in store for the finale of Power Book 3, Raising Canaan. And with that said, let's get into it. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene podcast on Apple, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. We keep doing this, Lou. Going over the same shit, talking the same talk. Then you're gonna, you're done and you're gonna walk away. It's just noise, Lou. Shit that you say to make yourself believe something gonna happen that ain't never gonna happen. You ain't going nowhere because there ain't nowhere for you to go. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Patina Miller, for coming onto the scene to scene podcast. I, I want to sort of start backward. I'm going to talk a little bit about your work on Power Book 3. And I want to talk about, you You have like a 
a large, expansive career. And I'm really curious to hear about some of the, the differences and the crossover that exists with being on television and being in film and, and doing theater. So okay, uh, about um, book three and sort of developing that cadence with your character and sort of the performance that you give for the character. Um, is there a special place in, inside you where you develop characters, where you may develop their backstories or or anything like that that helps you with the performance? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's like basic acting one-on-one for me, uh, just the way my training. I, you know, I've been doing acting for a very long time. I moved away when I was 15 to go to a performing arts um, boarding high school. So character work and character study and scene analysis and all of that stuff has pretty much been with me from the very, very beginning. I mean, it's how I've always uh, attacked characters. Um, I think, you know, the best way into a character is to do all that kind of work, find how you're similar, find how you're different, uh, you know, call upon things in your own life that make you feel a certain way the character is feeling in some regard and, you know, put together characters. It's my, honestly, my favorite thing to do is to craft a character. And when I get to pull from my toolbox of all of these different um, things that I've learned over the years for some really incredible people, teachers and artists, mm -hmm. um, it just gives me, you know, it just gave me the freedom and the license to just create. And so with rock, I wanted to do the opposite of what was on the page. Right. Uh, you know, when you think of, when you get, you get, so basically when an actor gets sort of like, what the character is, what they're looking for. You can get like sassy or you can get femme fatale and you mm -hmm. can get uh, strong and you can get queen pin. And for me, I think those are things that like it become very one note to play those things. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I like to play the opposite. I like to find the opposite. I like to go in and try to find, okay, it's a queen pin. Okay. Well, what are we with this queen? How can I make her dynamic? How can I make her nuanced? How can mm -hmm. I make her not one note, you know, strong and having power? That's very good to play, but it does get tired to play after a while. And it gets tiring for people to watch after a while to see someone so strong or, you know, that's the leading characteristic. So for Rock, I wanted her to be many things, you know, I wanted her to be loving. I wanted her to be sensual and sexual. And I wanted her to have that passion and that hunger and that drive. And, you know, I tried to go in and sort of like, how does that look? Right. Mm -hmm. But she's also a savage as well. And trying to find ways of, you know, when does the savagery come out? When does, you know, all of these different parts of her, um, of who she is, where does she decide to, uh, you know, let some of those things come out. And I really, from the beginning, wanted to play the love, the love between a mother and a son, mm -hmm. the love of the sister and a brother, uh, niece and auntie, and like really investigating what that felt like to be the protector of a family, to be the matriarch of her own little family. You know what I mean? So that's basically how I go into it. I think of all of those things and how I'm a mother as well as rock, um, you know, I have a career that I love, a career I have wanted since I was a child. And so I know what it's like to want something and to want to go after it. So mm -hmm. that's like another thing that I connected with her. 
I have a very special relationship with my brother. Right. Uh, dynamics. I think we all families have dynamics that are can be a little, um, you know, good and bad. Right. Your family is your family. And um, within that, it's a uh, it's a whole thing. And there's this whole dynamic at play. And that exists. That's a universal thing. And so Raising Canaan is a family drama more so than it is rock just being a queen pin and mm-hmm. running the streets and the drugs and all of this and that. Yeah, it's a part of it. It's just one of the, you know, one of the different ways in. But at the the but at the heart of it, it is this mother and this son and this family trying to navigate a world uh where, you know, the odds are stacked against them. It's 90 Southside Jamaica Queens and everybody's trying to, you know, fight for their right to live the mm-hmm. way that they want to live. So that's what I was interested in. I'm sorry, it's very long-winded. But. No, not not long-winded at all. I'm I'm actually curious because you brought up something that was really interesting. You talked about how you have a really good relationship with your brother. Do you believe in injecting parts of yourself into the characters you play all the time, or is that something you do for really specified and complex characters, or do you, is that just not something you believe in at all? It's just best to create a new world for the characters you play. I think in order for you to create characters that people love and can get inside of is you must find something that is honest and truthful. And the way to find honest and truth is to go into your own life, right? So for me, I like to find, like I said, it may not be the exact same thing, mm-hmm. but if I have an understanding because I feel that in my own life or I have something that maybe, you know, is something like this character or or someone I know who reminds me of a character... That's the way to go into it, because if you go in completely blind and you're just playing a character and it's just, I say, acting and there is no depth to it. I think like if you want for me personally, what I want with my characters are to go as deep as I can with those characters, because that fulfills me, that 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 makes me uh, feel like I'm doing the work that I'm supposed to do, you know, honesty um, you know, talking and listening and like really listening and really being there with the scene partner and having is, you know, taking on a character where you really understand them, you know, and there's certain things about characters that I don't understand. Mm. I don't understand, you know, in some ways, some of Rock's choices, but then I justify it because I'm like, well, if I were in this situation, okay, Mm -hmm. Well, I can see it from her lens as well. So it makes you just be able to understand the parts that you might not know. For season three and and how Raquel is sort of dealing with some of the consequences of the things that we've seen the characters sort of engage in, how do you go about collaborating with uh, directors and producers on crafting these sort of journeys that your character takes because I know making film and television is a you know collaborative effort and yes. I'm curious to hear about the ins and outs of how you created that journey with different folks um well first off we have an incredible team um our writer creator uh Sasha Penn is just brilliant at what he does I think he he um he understands these characters. He, him and the our writing team really just give these characters so much life. And, you know, they have it all together with what how they want the seasons to go and what they want it to feel like. And, you know, as the seasons go on, me playing the role, they sort of get, you know, ideas and things. And then I read the script and I, you know, 
I see where it's going. And then I start to work with my uh, acting coach. And so for me, I have a wonderful acting coach. Um, and we sit and we talk about the character and we talk about first season when we were doing that, what colors, what what the character's journey was. Okay. And then for me, second, I was like, well, I don't want the journey to be the same and I don't want to make the same choices. So how can I craft the character for this new journey? Um, and then third season, it's the same thing. Um, I've been fortunate enough and lucky enough to work with some incredible people, incredible collaborators on Raising Canaan. We have the best directors. Um, and honestly, just, you know, Sasha Penn and Courtney and Fifth, they all set a precedent of what it would look like in this world. Mm -hmm. And I think the power universe is full of so many, so many wonderful create, create like characters, um, having directors come in, knowing the story, knowing what we're trying to do and working with us as actors, um, as directors, as mm -hmm. writers, like everybody is, it is a collaborative um, effort. And we just try to up the stakes every time. Mm -hmm. And moving a little bit to the different, you know, theater and television, what would you say are some of the major differences between the three outside of one being on the set, outside of one being more uh, in-person experience, um, you know, the timing with television. Mm -hmm. I'm just wondering or thinking of some examples that you could talk to about how different they are and how maybe you have to wear different hats to participate in uh, those different, you know. No, yeah. Uh, personally, for me, I think the only difference between the three, the acting remained the same. The acting, like listening, like all of those things like an actor brings to the process, like that does remain the same. It's a technicality. Um, technical side to it. When you're on a stage, you not only have, you know, other actors on stage, but, you know, you have crew that are off stage sometimes. Um, uh, people come in, you know, the lighting people come in before it's teched, you know, before audience get, audiences get in. And so like the crew, any set, all of that is before. And so when you get on the stage, it's basically you're living, right, with an audience. And that for me is the difference is it's live. It's in front of people. It changes uh, from day to day. There is no going back and mm -hmm. um, changing it. What happens on stage is what happens on stage, um, which I love. I love the, the whole idea that like you're here, you're doing a performance and this is the performance that no one else will see. Only you and right. the audience get that special bond to see it. And it's not something where if you mess up, oh, I'll just you know, I'll, I could do it five more times. No, right. there isn't anything like that. It forces you to bring things out of yourself. It forces you to listen and to react as an actor in a different way. And having that sort of, um, that aliveness of having an audience in front of you where you can feel their energy and then it helps your performance. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it could be a little hard when it's right. a matinee and there's, you know, not as many hoops and hollers in places that you normally get those laughs. It can make it harder but the energy is just different on a set it's very technical we're all working together to tell a story legit everybody's working together to tell a story it's not mm -hmm. just the actors who are doing it it's the directors it's every camera person it's all the crew people who do the lighting the grips um you know props you know everybody is legit a collaborative effort and one does not work without the other and then after we finish it goes to another team 
and they put it together, editors, you know, and color artists. And so what you see at the end is really the product that so many people had a hand in. And that for me was the biggest difference between, I guess, stage and TV and film. TV's faster for me personally. Mm-hmm. Um, you stick with a character and you have the, uh, the, you know, you don't really know what's happening until you get the script kind of thing. And so there is something cool and uh, alive in that. Like you're watching the journey is happening as you're going. So you don't right. know the end outcome, but you know the beginning. And uh, film, you know, film works, film work is a little bit different. It's still technical. Um, you know, there's a lot of time taken in film, depending on what kind of movie set you're on. I had the luxury of being in a part of the franchise, The Hunger Games, where it's big and explosive. Right. And it was like so big and vast and so many people on a set. Um, and you could just take your time. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's, I hope that's clear. I think the difference. Between yeah, oh, the that's definitely, it's clear and and. The, I can imagine just walking onto the set of the Mockingjay, the Hunger Games being like one of the biggest franchises in the world at the time and just walking on and seeing like this expansive, expansive world and getting to play within that and what that was like. Oh, yeah. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. I'm curious, did, before you went off to school, uh, to performing arts school or to school, did you did you know as a young child that you always wanted to be an actress? I did. I did for a long, I mean, I, I grew up singing. I grew up, um, singing was like a really big thing for me uh, growing up. That was like, you know, singing and music. I was in the marching band. I danced a lot. You know, I, I was from a small town, so all the arts that were available to me at that time, I took uh, advantage of. I started going to a performing arts uh, camp in the summer where I would like go and study, uh, not acting at that time. It was just music and, um, you know, it was heavily music influenced. And then towards the end, um, acting kind of showed up. I always loved watching movies. I always loved acting out little scenes in whatever I was watching on TV. And I, always thought, oh, I'd love to be able to do something like that to play characters. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I got the opportunity to be in a musical and do some acting. Um, I was cast as Miss Hannigan in Annie. And I remember being on stage as a younger girl and I thought like, wow, this, this is incredible. I love, I love this. I loved being on stage. I loved singing. I loved performing in front of an audience. And it made me feel something. It made me feel alive. And so after that performance, I remember telling my mom, who finally saw me perform something, I was like, I want to do this. Mm-hmm. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but this is what I want to do with my life. And cut to like a year or two later, she found this governor's school, South Carolina governor's school for the arts and humanities summer program where I could go and study acting. And I had mm-hmm. to audition and I had never auditioned for anything <laughs> like this. So like- scary. 
oh my God, it was so scary. But I was like, you know what? Let me go to the library. Let me find out what these plays are about and work with my English teacher. And um, I didn't get in the first summer, but I was so heartbroken. The second summer, I worked really hard and I got into the acting program. And then I stayed. I did the summer program and then they asked me, the only person, only person of color as well, um, to stay. Mm-hmm. Wow. I was going to ask another question, but when you mentioned being the only person of of, of color, um, what was that like as a young person to experience and to uh, process? Well, that was hard. That was that was hard for me. I mean, I, you know, I I grew up in my little small town. You know, it was every, you know, it was like white, black, Spanish, you know, it was a Southern town, but for the things that I like to do, it, mm-hmm. I saw myself reflected, right? Like when I went off to school and I went to the performing arts uh, camp, it was uh, very eye-opening. Um, at first it made me feel um, shy. It made me feel, cause I was already a little shy girl anyways. It came mm-hmm. alive whenever I was acting or singing, but I don't know. It made me feel alone in some ways. Um, I was really good at making friends. You know, I had friends who were white friends who were Spanish. So I, I, w- I wasn't, you know, it's not that I couldn't make friends, but it, it was a bummer, obviously. <laughs> I mm, think. Right. Like, oh man. And then I went to school when I got accepted into the program, uh, for the, to finish my school, because there was a high school, um, I was I was the only girl in my class, the only the only black girl in my acting class. And you know, when you're doing material and you're studying acting and the different plays and stuff, like I never really got to to do the black plays or investigate like all of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I learned the foundations of acting. Right, I learned. Um, how to be out of my comfort zone. And I learned how to excel out of my comfort zone. And sometimes when it's like that, you just do what you got to do. You make the most of it and you give your best. And so it it did teach me a lot. I would, I would go on to be the only one in rooms many more times, but because I had, I had gotten so like used to it early on Mm -hmm. in my life as an actor, it didn't come as a, a big shock. When I, when I later went to college and I was the one of only, there was one, there's two black girls in my class there too. You know what I mean? And and so it was like this thing where I just, it it made, it it was, it was lonely and it was awkward. And I sometimes felt misunderstood at times. And I wish, you know, I'd had teachers to sort of, you know, see me, really see me. Mm -hmm. Um, But it just made me work harder, but I won't lie. I had some great teachers and I had teachers who really championed me. You know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. I won't, I won't ever say anything bad about like, oh God, I would, didn't do this because I was the only black girl. No, I I was, I was treated very well. My teachers saw a lot in me and they pushed me um, to be the best that I could be. And Mm -hmm. I'm very grateful for that. And something else you mentioned before about you know, auditioning for the school and and being rejected and how that hurt. I'm wondering, can you give some examples and talk about how rejection felt at the beginning of your career versus how you may deal with it now? Oh, yeah. So rejection for me at the the early days, like my first, you know, rejection was that 
performing arts school when I was like 14. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had, for me, I'll just be honest, like in my regular school, I was on the cheerleading team. I was in the marching band. I was in the color guard. I was like on the softball team. Like I had a life. I had like, I was really into sports, like this other part of my life that like was actually really cool too. Like I did well, right? Like I was uh, was an athlete, I was a cheerleader. And so those things made me happy. So when I got rejected, it sucked. It totally sucked. I lived in it for a little bit, but I got up the next day and I was like, okay, this is what it is. Mm-hmm. I want to do it. I want to do this. So my mom was like, don't cry. How can you be better? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. She was just like, just work, just work hard. Do you want it? I was like, yeah, I want it. <laughs> and she was like, you know, I cried my little tears. And then I was like, all right, well now we're going to forget about it. We're going to forget about it. And we're going to like, how can I work hard the next time? And so honestly, it's something about having that drive as a young person. I've always had drive in anything that I've ever done, whether it's wanting to be on the cheerleading team and working really hard or the marching band and I wanted to play the flute. I'm going to be first chair, so I'm going to do that. I'm going to be in the color guard. I'm going to do this. I'm going to be on the softball team. I always had this passion and this desire to be better and to like do things and push myself. So this was no different. So when I didn't get in, honey, (laughs) I I was at that library reading all the plays trying to be an actor, looking at TV, studying people early on, that when I went into my audition for the high school, like, I don't know if I was like the best actor. I'm sorry for the performing arts uh, summer program again as an actor. I think they just saw my my fire, you know, mm-hmm. like, and then to be accepted and to then be able to work and to get some acting technique to then be asked to stay to the high school and to live there for my last two years. That was like changed my life. Mm -hmm. And you've played a variety of different characters on stage and screen and television and all that. Is there any particular character that has stuck with you and has taught you something about yourself that you didn't know before? Oh my God. I would probably say a character that probably has stuck with me. I just played uh, the witch in Into the Woods. Yeah. Uh, Sondheim. Sondheim for me has always meant so much. Um, First, it's one of the best Mm -hmm. to ever do it. Um, But Sondheim, you know, his lyrics just stick with you. And it's sort of like life lessons. It's like you could pick up the book of any of his lyrics and find something in there that uh, pertains to what you're going through. Right. on your journey as a human mm-hmm. and the witch for me and into the woods meant so much because I um I got to take on a character that was so complex and on the surface she's this witch she's terrorizing she's fantastical she's like all these things but on the inside she was just a wounded woman who 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 wanted so desperately to have a child had a child wanted so desperately to keep her child safe Mm -hmm. and trying and trying to shield her her child from the world she made a lot of mistakes Mm -hmm. right and for me it's just it's all about love and all about like you know love and loss and these strong characters who are also vulnerable as well and you know she taught me 
all kinds of things about how I want to parent, how I want to mother as much as I want to shield my, I have a six-year-old daughter from the world. Mm -hmm. You know, the world is the world and you just have to do what you do in raising her to be able to be out into the world. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so it, it affected how I parent, how I talk to her, how I talk to others and just all of those things. It's one of those roles that like, you know, after two and a half hours playing that role on stage and what she goes through, it's tiring, but um, it, it was the most fulfilling role. Speaking of fulfilling, can you talk about what it felt like to win the Tony for Jesus. Pippin? Uh, I mean, time stopped. Uh, I, it was a lifelong dream. Mm -hmm. I, um, Pippin playing the leading player in Pippin was probably one of those roles. I'll say Pippin and and the witch, um, both very iconic characters that I got to play and throw my own interpretation on. But boy, being able to play a character that was made that was iconically made by a man, Ben Vereen, mm -hmm. and for me to be able to come back many years later and have my own interpretation. And it called on all of the things that I've ever wanted to do. And, you know, being on stage and circus and all of these things, it called on so much of me mm -hmm. as a storyteller. And so to be able to feel confident in myself, because it taught me uh, to be confident. I think when I first got to Broadway, there was this whole thing of like, you got to please everybody. You got to please right. everybody. And what are they, what are they saying about me? And I just, I, I need to be good because da, 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 da. When I stepped into the role and probably cause I was a little older, I stopped caring what people thought. I wanted to just trust myself and trust what I could do. Like, what could I do if I decided to show up and give the best of myself and mm -hmm. not care what others think of me. And if I could be proud of that at the end of the day, I've done something right. And so it was one of those roles that I did where I felt so fearless. And so to do all of that work and to be nominated, but then to sit at Radio City and my name be called was yeah. like time stood still. I also have to say that was the year that I won a Tony with my mentor, Billy Porter, um, who had mentored me throughout my career. So him as my teacher mentor, uh, being able to share in something like this with him. And then Cicely Tyson won that year, you know, and then, um, you know, Courtney Vance. Like, it was just so... It was just one of those years. Oh, my one God. It was one of those years where it, like, felt so right, so good. It's a dream that I always thought, you know, I hoped that I would ever, I would ever get it. I'd be able to take it off the box. And to be able to take it off and and and, and really be proud of myself and proud of the work and just, you know, it made it, it, it was a dream come true. I will say that. And not just that, but being able to celebrate, you know, with, yeah. with folks, with your mentors and other legends like that must've been oh, like one God. of those memorable things that I, I'm living vicariously through you. Cause I, I will never that. forget that moment. It was a pinch me moment. It was legit a pinch me moment in my life and career. And I, I, Whatever happened else in my career, like I, I go to those moments like that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, there we go. Those types of, so whenever I do, because we talked about rejection early on and how you deal with it, I always remember the good moments, right? Mm -hmm. And I remember before that moment, there were some not so good moments, but it's about like taking 
those rejections, you know, live in it for a minute, forgetting about it. How can you be better the next time? And for me, it's all about, okay, how can I be better the next time? How can I be, how can I do this? How can I do this differently this time? Because someone is going to say yes. You have to be ready when they say yes. Right. And that for me has always been like my thing is like, I think the, the, the losses, the rejection only make you stronger for whenever you get your yes, Mm -hmm. that you could put all of that into it. And that's what I do. One more question I wanted to ask you is we don't have that many episodes left in power book three and returning back to power really quick. Um, We don't have that many episodes left and you know, what can folks who are fans of the show expect from the last couple of episodes and in a possible upcoming season that you could maybe divulge right now? Okay. Now see, I am not divulging anything. Okay. <laughs> what I will say, what I can say is that they should expect the unexpected. I think like, I'm so proud of this season. Um, you know, there's been so many twists and turns and so many uh, character re- revelations. I think everybody's grown so much. I work, I I can't finish this interview without saying how lucky I feel to work with so many incredible artists mm-hmm. that I get to work with on my show. I mean, London Brown is Marvin, Malcolm Mays is Lou, Haley Kilgore. I mean, Makai Curtis, um, you know, everybody is Omar Epps. Everyone is just so stunning on the show. And the list goes on. Joey Badass, like what they've done with their characters and, you know, these characters that people did not know mm-hmm. and what lives that we've been able to create in these scenarios, you know, uh, it's been really, really, really so amazing. I think everybody's doing such great work. Everybody's character journeys, you know, have just come so alive. And now here we are in our third season. You know, it just feels good. We're telling this story. The audiences are along for the ride. Mm-hmm. Um, so many twists and turns. You never know what's going to happen. I remain the villain. <laughs> <laughs> right. Apparently, I, I, it's so funny because I never thought of myself as the villain. Um, I just saw it as a mother, you know, on a mission, um, you know, a woman on a mission to be as, 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 good as she could be in a mm-hmm. world, a male dominated world. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I think what you can expect is the unexpected and it will be explosive. It, it, it is the power universe. So I'll just say that. So you never know what to expect, right. but there is the fourth season. Okay. So this yeah, that's all I can divulge. Thank you so much for chatting with me on the scene to scene podcast and everybody look out for the upcoming episodes on Power Book 3. And thank you again for chatting. Thank you so much, Valerie. Take care. This was a great interview. Thank you so much. Thank you.